6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler continues his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 17 through 20. Then we get to this interesting verse 4. He removed the high places. Finally, we got a king that'll do that. Remove the high places. He break the images. He cut down the groves. He break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For in those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. Here is a strange throwback that I think is very instructive. Uh, you may recall way back in uh, Numbers 21, there was this plague. And God told Moses to take a brass serpent, put it on a pole, put it up on the hill, and anyone that looked at the pole would be healed. Everybody else did. I think a huge number died. And uh, you wonder, what a weird way. If God's going to heal them, why does he do it that way? Well, God always does it for a purpose, and we have that explained to us by none other than Jesus himself in John 3. Because in John 3, verses 14 and 15, says, But as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, have eternal life. And it, that passage is followed by the most famous passage in Scripture, John three sixteen. What's interesting, that brazen serpent, now, Numbers is a long time ago in the days of Moses. That brass serpent is still around as a fetish, as a thing being worshipped. And uh, uh, what, what discovery here is in the days here of Hezekiah, the children of Israel burned incense to it. See, that's the danger of these articles, whether it's the Shroud of Turin or some splinters of wood that are supposed to have come off the cross or whatever. Uh, they're more dangerous if they're real. If they're disproven, they become safe. I mean, you don't worry about it. But if it sounds like they're real, they're dangerous. Why? Because you start looking at the article rather than the, you look at the the article rather than the one that created it. And that's exactly what happened here. The, this brass serpent was still around, and people were starting to worship it. Well, Hezekiah did the right thing. He destroyed it. He destroyed it. Gee, what a shock! It's an it's an art treasure. It's an archaeological priceless thing. Yes, he wrecked it to keep people from worshiping it. He called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan is a Hebrew term that uh, the word means. Um, it's this, it's, it sounds very similar to the word for a snake. It's a word that sounds for bronze snake or unclean thing. Nehushtan, he labeled it. He, it's trash. He, he got rid of it. Why? Because he wants them to do what he did in verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. So, boy, Hezekiah is impressive. He's not perfect. He makes some mistakes. We're seeing he makes some doozies here. But he's a good guy. His heart's in the right place. That's the point. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Praise God for Hezekiah. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Oh, boy. That's gutsy. Because the king of Assyria is really powerful. He just wiped out the northern kingdom. 
He smote the Philistines, even to Gaza, and the borders thereof, and from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And it came to pass in the fourth year of the king of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Eli, the king of, of Israel, the Chalmanese, the king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And that's, this is what's going on up north. At the end of three years, he, they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Israel, Samaria was taken. So here is Hezekiah showing some strength. The northern kingdom is, is, is being decimated. The king of Assyria did carry away Israel into Assyria and put them in Hala and Habor by the river of Gazim and in the cities of the Medes because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God but transgressed the covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against all the cities of Judah. Boy, I'm, giving, I'm, 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 I'm denying you an awful lot of background here. I don't want to do too much. I, I don't want to... I spent a lot of time here. Um, the pre- verse 12 was a summary statement of why Israel fell, because they were disobedient. But see, now Jerusalem is going to be sieged by Assyria, so it's going to sound like very much the similar kind of thing. And the, this following section is also recorded in Isaiah. Isaiah has, is sort of in three parts. The first big part, which is one of, of, of uh, uh, um, call to obedience. The third part, which is the messianic part. And there's a little four-chapter historical section, 36 through 39 in there. And uh, the first two of those four chapters is parallel to what we're going to be seeing here. Now in the 14th year of the king of Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, come up against all the cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, to Elachish, saying, I have offended, return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, just a little background. Sennacherib, his predecessor was Sargon II, who had continued to expand Assyrian territory and strengthen it in a lot of ways, and I'll spare you all the details. Sennacherib himself was a less capable ruler than his father. And um, during his first four years on the throne, he was occupied in, with uh, controlling Babylon, which is starting to be on the rise. It will sh- it'll eventually rise and take over everything, but that's still coming later, about a century later. So during this time, he, he formed an alliance with uh, Phoenicia and, and Philistia, that's on the coast, and uh, as well as Egypt. And also Judah joined in to re- all this. To, so uh, it's certain that Sennacherib would... Uh, oh, excuse me, uh, uh, got to back up here. While Sennacherib is trying to control Babylon, the coastal cities, groups, the Philistia and and, and, uh, Phoenicia and Judah are aligning themselves to resist Assyria. That's what's upsetting Sennacherib. So he's going to try to put down this uprising as his father has, has done. His father was much more powerful. So now Hezekiah, in anticipation of him coming, starts to, has fortified Jerusalem. He's built his famous tunnel from the spring. Gihon Spring, underground to the Pool of Siloam, and then hidden in the spring. You can go through that tunnel. We'll talk. It'll, it'll show up in this text here in a few minutes. Um, on the way to Judah, the Assyrians had defeated the rebels in Phoenicia and several other members of the alliance. It started, it started to fall apart. And so uh, now he's going to attack Judah. So Judah is in, in trouble here. And so they, uh, he lays down the uh, tribute here. We're talking about 11 tons of silver and about a ton of gold is what we're talking about here. And uh, Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house 
We're going to find out that wasn't, there's still a lot more. We'll discover it a little bit here. But anyway, at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, the king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshaketh to, from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. This is going to be quite a scene coming. And they went up and came up to Jerusalem. This is, this is his three, you know, primary henchmen that are coming up here because the ransom didn't satisfy Sennacherib. And so he's sending messengers to try to dictate a complete, uh, surrender. And, uh, at first they're going to just play, place their uh, claims to Hezekiah, but then he's going to do it to all the people in Jerusalem here. Now these three guys are his top guys, obviously. And, uh, because they're trying to intimidate Hezekiah to capitulate without any resistance. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they came up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of Fuller's Field. And when they called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which is over the household, that's running the palace, in other words, Ashibna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. So Hezekiah doesn't meet him personally, he sent his three representatives. Hezekiah sends his three representatives. And all of this, by the way, is in earshot of the wall of Jerusalem. And a very busy location, by the way. We'll see. Rebsekah said to them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah. Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of the bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh the king of Egypt unto all that trust on him. So they're trying to intimidate Hezekiah. And who are you going to rely on? Who are you going to, first of all, we're prepared for war. He obviously he's saying the obvious. Who do you trust? And, uh, uh, you're going to trust Egypt? This is a, a, a bruised reed. In other words, it'll bend and break and hurt you. If you try to lean on that, you're going to hurt yourself. And uh, so, so is Pharaoh the king of Egypt and all that trust him. But if he say unto me, We trust in the Lord our God, is not that he who whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah taken away, and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? See, they, they're pagan and they don't understand. Hezekiah went down destroying all these pagan altars. They don't understand that what Hezekiah, that was not a lack of faith of Hezekiah. It was an expression of faith of Hezekiah. They don't understand that. They assume that he's, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, putting his own rug out from under him, really, in effect. Now, I might mention, by the way, before we go much further, the view that's here in the Bible, there are other views of exactly what the politics were at that time. There's a book called The Rescue of Jerusalem by Henry Aubin which deals with the alliance between the Hebrews and the Cushites in Africa. And uh, it's a mix of some historical records plus a, uh, an excessive reliance on doubtful sources. It's not biblical at all in terms of its perspective, but it's interesting background. Uh, done, done a lot of research. Most people don't realize we speak of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That's probably the king of the 25th dynasty. But it's the descendant of the 26th dynasty, which is called in the Egyptology the Ethiopian dynasty. And it's in that when we get to Josiah and so forth, there's a strong possibility that apparently the, the Levites took the Ark of the Covenant to, under their protection where it's been since then. And we'll talk about when we get there. So 
we, we need to understand that our, the understandings of the succession of kings and so forth in, in uh, northern Africa, whether it's Egypt or Ethiopia or Nubia, is very murky primarily because of the um, racism that is dominant during the period that many of the books were written in the 17th, 18th, 19th century. The, the real history of Africa has been uh, minimalized, if you will, by many of the Western writers. And they're starting to discover all kinds of things, not the least of which was, uh, is that uh, the Ethiopians especially were incredibly powerful players in that period of time. And we don't, uh, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt was not Egyptian, he was Ethiopian. And that's going to be very important when we get to Josiah, which will, will be, after Hezekiah with the Manasseh, who does a major mess, it's, Josiah comes after him and it's a very, very widely misunderstood area we'll get into. So, in any case, um, but here the Assyrians are trying to intimidate Hezekiah, and uh, they don't understand that Hezekiah was doing God's will by destroying the particular altars that he was destroying. He says, Now therefore I pray thee, give pledges to my lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver uh, thee two thousand horses, if thou be able, uh, on thy part, to put riders on them. Now this is just a big, big taunt. Um, the uh, uh, commander's trying to strike a bargain here for surrender. He, and he reasoned, uh, this, the, you know, he, the, re, the commander thought it would be wise. The Judites had very few horses. And this was in part to uh, the help that Hezekiah had hoped to get from Egypt. But even if Sennacherib were to give Judah 2,000 horses, Hezekiah couldn't put trained cavalry on him. Judah's army is probably not really that small, but it was small in comparison to Assyria's in any case. Okay, now. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants, and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now you and I hear that, and we sound like, well, that's just like a big vain boast. Wait a minute. Put yourself in the position of Hezekiah or the average person. What they've just seen is the northern kingdom, presumably trusting the Lord, just got wiped out by Assyria. Assyria's making the state, the guy's making the statement, that uh, I'm now come out without the Lord against this place to destroy it. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. He's claiming that God told him to take the northern kingdom. And that would shake, that would shake the average citizen because they've just seen their northern uh, nation, twice the size of them, wiped out by these people, apparently as a, you know, under the thumb of God's judgment. How are they going to stand against these people? And this guy, so this guy's taught here uh, is scary. It's, it carries it carries a lot of weight. Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Sheba, and Joab to Rabshaketh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. Talk not with us in the Jews' language, for in the ears of the people that are on the wall. They're hearing all these re- relatively impressive arguments being spoken to them in Hebrew. They happen to be trained in both languages. Speak to us in Syrian, because we don't want these people shook up. Well, that's exactly the point they're making. They want to get the message to the people, you see. And so they obviously, Rabshakeh said to him, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? <laughs> see, in other words, he's, what he's threatening, that's, that's the likely result if they are under siege. If the Syrians choose to put them under siege, they're going to starve them out. And uh, being uh, defendants of a siege is not pleasant business. And uh, that's that's his colorful way of 
of saying it, the people on the wall, the guys are going to get injured by the decisions you guys make here uh, with your king. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the in Hebrew, <laughs> in the Jewish language, and speaks, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. And he goes through the whole argument again. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered in the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me. And then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil and olive and of honey, that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? That's a powerful argument in those days. Because here's Assyria that's knocked down one nation after another, proving that their gods are more powerful than the other ki- those kingdoms' gods. That was the basic concept. The, 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 the nation with the strongest god is the one that wins. And here's Assyria who's won everything they've touched, including the northern kingdom. Have any of the gods of the nations delivered at all? His land, his, his land out of the hand of the king of Syria? That's a scary argument. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim and Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Those are powerful arguments because these are very tangible, you know, acknowledged victories. See, he's focusing on Hezekiah's promise to the people that the Lord would deliver them if they trusted him. And uh, all these places mentioned were probably known to the Judites. Arpad was about 13 miles north of Aleppo and Aram. Hena and Eva were north of the Euphrates River, east of Hamath. And uh, we've talked about those places that have shown up before. And uh, But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer not. So they didn't respond to this guy, which is appropriate. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Sheba, their scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rapsekah. Tough stuff. What would you do if you were Hezekiah? Got an army out there that's, you know, a thousand times larger than you. That's got a success history, including your brother nation to the north. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, that's what's going to be in chapter 19. Let's take a look here. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and did what each of us should do in a case like this. He went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Sheba the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. So Hezekiah is going to pray to God, knowing that God will speak to him through Isaiah the prophet. They said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring it forth. In other words, like a woman afraid to give birth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria's master has set to, set to reproach the living God. He will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, there's the, there's the authenticating words, Be not afraid, of the words which thou hast heard. 
with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Ooh, I'm glad to hear that. See, God's going to get angry here. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Abshekah returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish, and when he heard say of Turk, Turhaka, the king of Ethiopia, Behold, he is come out to fight against thee. And he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gazim, Haran, Rezeph, and the children of Eden, which were in Athelasar? Where is the king of Hamath, and the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Shevarim? So he's repeating the same argument again. And Hezekiah received the letter. This case, see, in this case, it's in writing. Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah does something interesting with this letter. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. I like this. He takes it with him and lays it out so the Lord can read this thing. <laughs> he lays it out, you know. <laughs> and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims. You know, the Lord is always pictured as between or amidst, above and between these cherubims. We get the impression he spoke audibly to Moses. He did, uh, uh, here he's going to be speaking through Isaiah. But anyway, um, which dwelt between the cherubim, Thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. See, in other words, Hezekiah is acknowledging for God that the Assyrian victories are not ascribed to their idols because they're nothing. They may have won, but not because of those idols. That's his point. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. That's the right basis, isn't it? For your glory, God. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against the necker of the king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin of the daughter of Zion hath despised thee, and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. And that's a, a strange, um, better catch up with myself here with my notes so I don't, there's a, the good news is when I'm going fast like this, I, I spare you a lot of boring background, but I want to make sure I don't miss anything important. See, the first part of God's judgment, verses 20 through 28, uh, gave the reason for his judgment on Sennacherib. And the figurative poetic language was probably used to stress the importance of the divine source. The virgin daughter of Zion, suggests that Jerusalem had never been conquered and since it passed into Israelite control. And uh, Jerusalem would despise and mock Sennacherib, shaking her head as the Assyrian king fled from her. That's the picture that's being presented here rhetorically. 
Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? Or against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lift up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel. See, Sennacherib had used, he raised his insulting voice and blasphemy and pride, not against the city, but against God. That's where he makes a big mistake. And uh, this was his great sin, and it's, of course, his undoing. And he and his messengers had insulted the Lord by claiming their victories were the result of their own might. Not so. By thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord and said, With a multitude of my chariots I am come up at the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and will cut down the tall cedar trees thereof, and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the lodgings of his borders, and into the forest of his Carmel. I have digged and drunk strange waters, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste fenced cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field and as the green herb and as the grass on the housetops as the corn blasted uh, before it had grown up. See, in other words, the conquered people had no power to resist and uh, could not even attain normal full strength, like, you know, and so forth. All this had been God's doing, not what they, not they're doing. Verse 27, but now, but I know thy abode, thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me, and thy tumult is come up into mine ears, therefore I will put my hook in thy, in thy nose, and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. Woo. The, the, the hook and, well, the, the, I can, the, the, the rhetoric here is pretty, Pretty clear. God is promising to do to them what they had done to others, in effect. We have uh, uh, Assyrian uh, uh, inscriptions on monuments that the conquerors uh, often uh, led their captives with a line that passed through the rings that had been placed through the victims' noses. We actually see that in the inscriptions. And God's using that same language. He's, that's what he, in effect, is going to do the equivalent to back to them. And this shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves. And the second year, that which bringeth of the same. And the third year, sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat fruits. This is what God's saying to the residents of Judah. That you're going to eat things that grow themselves. The second year, you're going to have the spring the same. The third year, you're going to sow and reap and have vineyards and so forth. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.